Good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. I love that last song. Um, if you're new to Common Ground and you're visiting, that song is why we exist. Because God is all those things, and we want to make God available to everybody else. Now, that sounds horrible. We make God available. God is available. We want to actively bring people to Jesus. Why? This is why in two weeks we're going to two services, so more people can experience uh, Jesus. This is why next week we're going to serve, so that we can make a difference in the community, so more people, the, the hopeless, can find hope. Uh, this is why we exist. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are hope for the hopeless. Thank you that you are comforter, counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, the great I am. All those things that you are, you are. This is why we come to worship you. And God, I do ask that, Holy Spirit, you would be here. You would come here powerfully. You would come here and be the comforter for those of us who need the comfort. Uh, you would be the counselor for those of us who need wisdom right now. Um, God, you would be the savior for those in here that need to say yes to you for the first time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke. Uh, grab your Bible. It's either you brought yours or there's one in the seat in front of you. You can grab, and we will be on page number 963. Page 963. But here's my question. Ever been in a fight? That's a weird way to start a sermon. When I was a kid, uh, the counsel that I got was if you get in a fight, grab whatever is close at hand and hit them with it. Because the best way to win a fight is to end it quickly, <laughs> right? Now, I mean, we can, we can argue, well, Bible tells us to turn the other cheek, and, and okay. But really, what I'm talking about, and I'm going to tell my girls, if some guy's attacking them, just hit them really hard with something. But that's uh, a strategy. You know, there's other strategies, right? Uh, remember Muhammad Ali, for those of you around back then who did the rope-a-dope? So his strategy was actually defense because he wasn't strong enough to beat, I think it was George Foreman. So he wasn't strong enough to beat George Foreman, so he let George Foreman just tire himself out. You guys think it started in Rocky. Muhammad Ali actually did that. And then later, he went on offense and won that fight, the rumble in the jungle, I think it was called. Anyway, strategy to win a fight, offense or defense, at some point, you've got to be on the offense. How about, you know, football? Football season is starting. Some people are wearing jerseys. You know, you hear it said the best offense is a good defense. Okay, but if you don't score, you can't win right? <laughs> I mean, I, I coached kids, little girls soccer when they were growing up, and it was great if you had a good defense, but it was better if the ball was always on the other end of the field being kicked into their goal, and your goalie never had to touch it. Offense was very important. Now, here's what I want to ask you this morning. How about the mission of the church? How about us as Jesus followers? Are we to be offensive or defensive? Are we supposed to move on the offense with the kingdom, or are we to stay on defense? And I am going to argue that the Bible has a really clear answer to this. We're going to see it in Luke and elsewhere, but we're going to see that the gospel is at its core offensive. By that I mean moving on the offense, taking ground, but it's also offensive, isn't it? Because in the gospel, in the good news, we first have to say you're not okay the way you're at. The way you are, you are born in sin and you are a sinner apart from God destined for, for hell. That is not a great message to hear. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is you're not okay, but that's okay because Jesus is perfect, died on the cross for you, place your faith in him and have life. But then he wants to take over your life. You know, the Bible is very clear. Once you say yes to him, you're saying yes to follow. We looked at this last week. Jesus' call was to 
follow him. And then he changes some things. Well, that's kind of offensive because as we read scripture, that means we're supposed to live a certain way. There's certain things we used to do that we shouldn't do anymore. And, and the culture around us hears that and they're like, ooh, no, we want to do these things. Leave us alone. So the gospel is offensive, but I want to focus on its offensive, moving forward nature this morning. Look at Luke 11. We're going to start in verse 14. Again, this is page number 963. And here's the context. We're going to see Jesus casting out a demon. And we see this a lot in the Gospels. We see it also in Acts. The apostles uh, cast out demons after Jesus died, uh, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And it's one of those interesting things of why do you see this so much in Scripture, but we don't really look around and see it? Uh, I know people are asking that question, so I'm just going to answer it. I don't know. Um, part of it could be in that day with Jesus, you know, the kingdom has come. Jesus is there, the king, that the enemy, Satan and the demons, kind of ramped up their, their offense at that time. Um, it could also be that the enemy, Satan and the demons, are like, well, in the Western world, they don't believe we exist. Let's just let that continue. And let's just get him a little bit more subtly. It could be going that way. But here, Jesus, whenever he goes around, he is casting out demons. And these demons recognize him. They know who he is, which is kind of interesting. And so there's times where, what well, you see it with the apostles too, a demon-possessed girl just follows him around and hounds him. Like, I know who you are. And, ah, get out, you demon. Well, here, Jesus is going to cast out a demon. And then there's going to be some discussion afterward. Let's uh, start in verse 14, Luke 11, verse 14. Now he, that is Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking a sign from him from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he has trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is a cool story. This is a cool little encounter that Jesus has, and they are accusing him, you're casting out demons because you have the power of the demons. Beelzebul, Satan, right? The prince of demons. And he says, if that's what's happening then Satan, his kingdom has already fallen because he's divided against himself. But you see here, he talks about kingdoms repeatedly. Satan has a kingdom and it's united, meaning the demons are in league with Satan. They are active, opposing God. But Jesus, the king, is present. So there are two kingdoms at war here, at battle. Verse 21, think about this. Who is the strong man? When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. Who's the strong man in this analogy? It's Satan, right? I remember reading this as a kid. I'm like, I don't really get it. The strong man is Satan. Satan has a kingdom, and he has a palace, and he has people. Here's the truth. Everybody who has not surrendered to Jesus as Lord yet is in Satan's kingdom. 
that, you know, they might not be in the occult actively worshiping Satan, but he has control. He has influence in their lives. They belong to that kingdom. And so Satan has a palace. He has a kingdom. And in it are all the souls, which means you and I, before we belong to Jesus, that's where we were. So there's no, there's no pride for the believer, right? There's no arrogance of, oh, we've chosen the right thing. No, it's all God's grace. And so those that don't belong to Jesus yet are still there. So the strong man is Satan. But the strong, who's the stronger man? That's Jesus. That's, he's talking trash. Have you ever realized that? Jesus is talking trash. I, I mean, I was a little bit of a trash talker when I played football, but mainly fun. You know, I like the people going, and I would talk a little trash, fun. Je- this isn't fun. This is Jesus going, I'm a lot stronger than him, and I'm here. He's strong, and he's going, but I'm going to come whoop him, and I'm going to take his armor. I'm going to leave him naked sitting there. I mean, that's this picture that he's casting here, and I'm going to plunder his house. What's he talking about? Souls. I'm going to whoop him, grab these souls that belong to his kingdom, and I'm going to bring them into my kingdom. Does this sound passive or defensive? Right? We always see these pictures of Jesus with the lamb on his shoulder, you know, and sitting there with his kids. And that is Jesus. But Jesus is not weak. I, I wish he was like sleeveless shirt in those pictures. And it, you know what I mean? And it's rippling and he's got his staff. Jesus was a tough guy. He was meek. There's a difference between weakness and meekness, right? Weakness is weakness. Meek is strength under control. Jesus had all the power in the world. He was God in flesh. But at the right time, he kept it under wraps, right? He was meek. When he went to the cross, he could have done, he, he could have stopped it. Even when he was in the, the interaction with the Pharisees, they're like, hey, if you're God, you know, fix this, whatever. He said, here's the thing. I could call the angels and I could get out of this right now if I want. But I'm not going to do that. That was meekness, strength under control. So this is in your notes. You probably already saw it. Satan is the strong man. Jesus is plundering his house. Oh, I love it. How is this possible? So here we see Jesus with this interaction. Later, Jesus would die on the cross. That was the ultimate battle, really. Now we look back to that time, that the victory is won. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. So when Jesus breathed his last, the battle was won right there with this enemy. But we still have skirmishes happening. I want to look at how uh, Paul describes this. This is in Colossians 1. It'll be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. But Paul says this, referring to Jesus, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He rescued us. Look at that picture. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us from our sin and from the enemy. People, you know, we start talking about this, and we talk, you know, over here on the board, you see the church, cruise ship or battleship. Sometimes we get deceived, and we think people are the enemy, especially in our political climate right now. Oh, those people are the enemy. Scripture makes very clear that people aren't the enemy. People are victims of the enemy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities. There is a spiritual battle happening, and we are part of it. We are part of this battle. So in Colossians, though, Jesus came and rescued us from what? The dominion of darkness. What's a dominion? It's a kingdom. He broke through and rescued people who belonged to the enemy. And what did he do? Brought them. That is, transferred them to a different kingdom of the son he loves. Jesus' kingdom in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. Redemption. That word means to be bought back with a price. We've been redeemed, right? Uh, in that day and age, you could be sold into slavery because of debt you had or whatever it is. And it's like that. Our sin is a debt we couldn't pay. And so we become slaves of sin, belonging to the enemy. And Jesus comes and redeems us, meaning he bought us. He paid the price with his blood. That was the price. And so he bought us and transferred us into his kingdom where he makes us sons and daughters. I, I mean, this is such a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. It's not passive. And it's not just, you know, say that you believe in me and get your get out of hell free card. No, it's a rescue and then a transfer. You're here. I'm going to take you from this kingdom. I'm going to put you in this kingdom. We were helpless and hopeless here. Jesus did all the work. The picture that always comes to mind when I think about this is Elise, who's really old now, uh, seventh grade, but she didn't always, she wasn't always this tall. When she was a toddler, uh, we were at a, a party. Some of you were probably there. Um, and there was a swimming pool, and she wandered into the pool and fell in. And most of us didn't see, and she couldn't swim yet. She's doing this, and Bethany, Ancina, I don't see her. Bethany sees, jumps into the water, and grabs her, you know, and pulls her out. She's got, and I saw the last second of it, where she's gasping, and um, how scared would she have been? And Bethany jumps. That's what Jesus did, right? We were helpless and hopeless, drowning. Jesus jumps in and grabs us and gives us life, and he did it by his death and his resurrection, but not just saved us then, transferred. You see this kingdom language, dominion, power, authority. So think about that verse. Put that verse up again if it's not back up. Put it up there and make this personal. For he has rescued me from the dominion of darkness. Put your name there. And he brought Derek into the kingdom of his son whom he loves and whom Derek has redemption. Put your name there. Jesus did this for you. And here's why we're talking about this so much, because he did it for you, very personal. He saved you. Now he wants to save others and use us to do that. Jesus came on an offensive mission into enemy territory, rescued many, transferring them to his kingdom. Again, this is not passive. Uh, the great picture, Rambo movie, right? I, I mean, if you're like me, you like those you know, tough guy movies where the one guy does it all, which is not realistic, but I don't remember which Rambo where he goes and there's all these POWs and he single-handedly goes in, you know, and rescues them and takes them out. Well, Jesus single-handedly rescued us POWs belonging in Satan's kingdom. And he came in, but unlike Rambo in his strength that kills everyone, Jesus gave his life to do it. It cost Jesus everything. And those that are transferred then Make up the church. You and I. You and I now belong to Jesus. You and I are the church. And through his church, he wants to bring others to him. This is why we do the things we're doing here. Again, I've already said it, but this is why we're moving to two services. We need to reach more people. This is why we're serving next week. There are people all around us dying in sin that need the good news of Jesus. Jesus is continuing his mission. But now he works primarily through his people, not around them. He works through his people, not around them. And how does he do this? What's the problem? The problem is sin. In Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one escapes it. Also in Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The gospel is really pretty much that simple. We are dead in our sin, born in it. 
But Jesus died for us, and all we have to do is place our faith in him as Lord. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's the belief in the heart and the confession. I'm going to follow him. That's why in two weeks we're doing baptism. You see, all this lines up together. In baptism, we are confessing to the world, I'm in a new kingdom. That's why it's so important. If you read through Acts, the first thing that always happens when somebody is saved is they're baptized. So is baptism a big deal? It absolutely is. Because it is our first step of obedience. Peter and the apostles at Pentecost, they preach this great sermon. People hear it, they're like, oh man, they were cut to the heart, it says. They understood their sin. They understood Jesus, God in flesh, had died for them. And they said, what do we do? And the answer was simple. It was repent and be baptized. Meaning turn from your sin, turn to Jesus as Lord, and be baptized. I mean, I love the picture we taught through Acts this last year. There were 3,000 saved that day in Jerusalem. They were all baptized that day in Jerusalem. There were crowds going around, finding whatever water they could find, lining up to get baptized. That's a cool picture. But baptism is our way of saying, I believe, and I'm willing to be part of your kingdom. You know, some people will say, well, what if I don't want to get baptized? And I challenge that a little bit. You say Jesus is Lord. The first thing he asks you to do, you say no. Who's in charge? So baptism is us confessing Jesus as Lord and telling everybody else, I'm now in this kingdom. And you know what? For us, it's pretty safe. In that day and age, it wasn't safe. For somebody to get baptized into Christ, they might get kicked out of their family. They might lose their job. It was a big deal around the world right now. You know, I've heard of those that are getting baptized in bathtubs because if they do it more public, they'll be killed. Their family will kill them for it. So baptism is a big deal. It shows us being transferred. Matthew 16, 18. You've heard this verse before. Jesus had just asked his disciples, the 12, walking with him. He said, who do people say that I am? And they had different answers. Well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. He said, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says this. He says, and I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a cool verse that often gets confused. There's a play on Peter's name, right? Peter's name was, was Simon until Jesus gave him a new name, Peter, which means the rock. And so there's a play on his name, which is why the Catholic Church will say Peter was the first pope and it's passed on. Right here, the rock isn't Peter, but the rock is the truth of what Jesus said about G- or what Peter said about Jesus. And so Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. By the way, the word church isn't in the New Testament very often. But here Jesus says, it's my church. So if you belong to Jesus, you're part of his church, right? There's not this church and that church. I mean, there's different churches in town, but we're one church and it belongs to Jesus. He says, on this rock, this truth that I'm the Messiah, I will build my church. And then listen to this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's the point of a gate? Keep people out. Keep things out. That's what a gate is for. You know, and Jerusalem in that day, it had walls around it. Then they could close those gates at night and leave. So they had a real good picture in that day and age of what this was like. But a gate is designed to keep things out. But what does Jesus say? I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Meaning we're going to bust down some gates, church. This is after Jesus died and rose. And then he sends his people to do this. 
my church is going to bust down the gates of hell. Does that sound defensive? You know, so often in, in the church we get comfortable and then we build up these walls and we say, you know, let's just protect ourselves from the rest of the world and all these dirty people doing all these dirty things. That's not the picture we get. The picture we get is that we are to go and bust down these gates. Now, Scripture makes clear this is something we do in grace, in love. You know, we're not going with the Bible to hit people with it. We're going to serve. We're going to love and draw them, woo them to Jesus the way he did. But it's very offensive. We're supposed to move into dark places. Where are those dark places around you? Who are those people that are lost and stuck that, that you might need to go bust down some gates to reach them? It might start just by visiting them, by giving them a, a meal. I, I don't know. Start showing them the love of Christ that maybe you can bust down some of these gates and help them be transferred into the kingdom of our beloved son, of his beloved son, Jesus. God's perfect plan is that between Jesus' first coming and second, he will work through his church to break into darkness, rescue the lost, save souls, and give abundant life to many. I love it. We are called to go. In the Great Commission, go make disciples, not sit, not sit and hope they come to your church. I've experienced this before. I've had a, a meeting with church leaders talking about this. I said, look at this, let's go, let's go. And the leader of the group's like, I'd rather stay in the valley. You know, I, I was looking at this, I said, this is like us together charging this hill and we're going to take it for Jesus. Jesus is going with us and some of us are going to get killed along the way. It's a battle. He's like, I don't want to do that. I want to stay in the valley. Do we want to stay in the valley? Or are we willing to go as the gospel tells us? To go get uncomfortable. Again, you know, some of you are like, oh, next week is a serve day. I'm skipping it because it's uncomfortable. This weekend, some of our groups this week are going to do a, a prayer walk. And some, I think, are going to do it the next week or some between. Well, that might feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to walk around with my spouse and, and pray or somebody in group. Well, guess what? That's part of this offensive nature. We move forward in prayer. Prayer really is the starting point to make a difference in our community because we are begging God. We're asking him to move. That's part of the battle. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. I mean, I could have a show of hands. Who here does not like praying in front of other people? A lot of it. There's some hands going up already, right? It, it can be uncomfortable, absolutely. And part of our job at Common Ground is to make you uncomfortable. It really is that we want to go. We're willing to adjust and change and try some new things because God wants to do some amazing things. We are to be on the offense. You know, there's only two continents where the gospel is not, the church is not growing. North America, Europe. Everywhere else, the church is growing. But we have gotten really comfortable. We really have. Our seats are cushy, right? Our walls are nice. And so next week, we're not going to sit in those seats. We're going to go. And strategically, we've done this. Next month, we're going to be talking about heaven. And you have one of these on your seat, and there's more out there. And I encourage you, grab some more on the way out. Invite somebody to this series. This is one of those series that people will go, I want to know what heaven's like. You know, do you think it's just us spiritually playing harps on a cloud? A lot of people have that picture. It's not that. It's way better than that. So come and, and bring somebody to this to hear what is it going to be like and how can I know that I'm going to be there? We're doing all this on purpose because we are on the offense. Here's the, 
So this excites me, and I start feeling a little bit of pressure. Maybe you do too when you hear this. You're like, oh, it's on us then to go do it. It's not. I mean, Jesus makes very clear. He says, go make disciples, and I'll go with you. The Holy Spirit's the power that changes hearts. Jesus is the power that will save people. We are just messengers, right? We are just his hands and feet. And so if we live in obedience, we're good. But if we live in obedience, he's going to do great things. He already is. In the Great Commission, it says go. What it really means is as you go. So it's, it's saying you're already in places. That's why we have our map out here. Uh, and we want you to put your pin in where you live, work, and play in the hallway just to get an idea of, of where we're at in the community. But for most of us, this isn't something we add to our schedule. This is something we already have people around us. There's already places we're going where God wants to use us to reach them. There are some that are red apples ready to be picked. They're just waiting for you. I'm not kidding. There are some people that when you say, hey, come to this series, they'll be like, this is, I've been waiting for that. Or maybe not this. You just start talking to them about Jesus. And they're going to have all kinds of questions. I've been waiting for somebody to bring this up. Who knows what God will do? But God desires to carry out his mission in and through us. Will we say yes? That's, that's the question I end with. Will we say yes? Because God is going to work anyway. Right? I, I mean, God is on the move. There are great things happening in other churches in town. There are great things happening here. My question is, are you going to be part of it and get to enjoy that? Or are you going to watch from the sideline? You know, this passage in Luke, look back at verse 23. He ends it with this uh, uncomfortable sentence. It says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. We don't like this verse. Because Jesus is very clearly saying, you're either with me or against me. There is no on the fence with Jesus. We're called to make a choice. Either we follow him or we don't. And if we follow him, then he says, and now go help others follow me too. Now I want to use you to make a difference in the lives of others. As we close in worship, we're going to take communion. Next week, uh, we're going to do this serve day. And then in the evening, we're going to come back here and we're going to worship. Uh, there's not going to be a sermon, so don't worry about that. We're going to come together. We're going to sing. We're going to share some stories of what God did that day. And that's going to be a lot of fun to celebrate God moving. But we're going to take communion. This is our time to remember that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. We're going to do this until Jesus comes back and we have this meal with him in paradise together. But this is a time for you to remember what he did and to examine your heart. You know, Paul tells us before you take the Lord's Supper, examine your heart. Is there any piece of you that's disobedient? That is willfully saying, I am not following you, Jesus, in this area. Repent of that. Commit to change it and then come take it. Is there a relationship that is broken because of you? Is there something you've done with a fellow believer that you need to reconcile that before you take communion? At least commit to do that. Maybe even text that person, hey, let's talk. And then come take the Lord's Supper because unity among God's people is paramount. And then we take it as a celebration, remembering what he's done for us. I'm going to be up here and if you need prayer, come talk to me. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, come talk to me and then take the Lord's Supper. If you have not yet surrendered to Jesus as Lord, don't take it. Nobody's looking, right? Nobody's judging, but just don't take the Lord's Supper until you're ready to say yes to Jesus fully, and then you are free to take it. And if you need to get baptized, grab your card and fill that out. We're doing that in two weeks. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you. I thank you for the uh, adventure that it is to follow you. Um, God, I thank you that following you is not boring. I thank you that you are not weak. I thank you for your meekness, and in your strength, you are willing to go to the cross. Jesus, as I read through the night you were betrayed, and you were praying, and you were asking the Father, if there's another way, let's do the other way. If there's another way, let this cut pass. And the Father told you back, no, this is the only way. The only way we can save souls is for you to die on the cross and rise from the dead, and you did it. And we thank you. Because of you, we have life, and we thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. And we remember as we take this cup, we remember your blood spilled for us. As we take this bread, we remember your body broken so we could be saved. And we can't wait for you to come back. Until then, use us for your glory, please. In Jesus' name, amen.